0: The reason that, uh, that's so special for me, and I know Jamie doesn't want to be singled out, but she knows I'm going to, um, is, uh, I mean, seriously, I was just thinking during the video, I, I remember um, being with Jason and Tamara in the hospital when Jamie was born, and I stood in the room and I, I prayed over her, and I will never forget that moment, praying over your life. I baptized you into Christ. And I've watched you become an incredible woman of God. And when you witness someone's life take that kind of path and knowing what God's going to do and what's ahead, it's it's so incredible. Um, Aim for me. I've had a lot of mixed emotions about aim over the years. Um, Most aimers come back from the field not liking aim. That's the truth. Okay? Mostly because we're immature young people. I mean, that was the honest truth. Um, But the truth is, it was because there's so much drama. There was just so much drama on the field with our team, with everything else, everything that's going on. Um, My gospel, when I went to Ecuador, was Jesus Christ. When I came back from Ecuador, my gospel was Ecuador and how wrong the church in America was. That's very typical of a missionary. Um, I went through a lot of those immaturities, but one thing looking back, That God did in my life, and I'm using this to introduce the study I'm going to be in, is uh, I sat down, and it's exactly what Jamie said. I was able to sit down, and for one of the rarest times of my life, very early in the morning, I opened up the book of Isaiah, and I spent a lot of time reading Isaiah and praying. In fact, I spent hours and hours every morning doing that. And I developed a relationship with God that would carry me in my life. And then God brought me into this book that has carried me on a very personal level, Second um, Corinthians. And that's a study I'm going to be in with you guys for a little while, and I'm going to let you know ahead of time for a preacher that it can get a little emotional anyway. Second uh, Corinthians, to me, is, is a book that has radically transformed my life. It is the book for me. Um, that, uh, the nerdy thing that I used to do in my house, I just confess, I'm a nerd, but, uh, I signed a book of a Bible to every room of my house, and my, my house wasn't that big, so I assigned closets, I had everything, you know, that's, that's where you put first Corinthians is in the closet, and, um. But I did that in, in, the, in the room, and I did that so that whenever I was in the room, I would try to memorize what was in every chapter, and so, if I was in a certain room, I would assign it, and so I could look around and I could say well that 's what 's in first you know, Romans, whatever and um, Second Corinthians was my bedroom that 's where I wanted the last thing I thought about when I went to bed, the first thing I woke up in the morning and and we 're going to talk a lot about why this book became so personal to me i 've talked to some of the other, some of you, and, and actually some of you are that way too. I had more than one person tell me, man, I didn't really get into 2 Corinthians that much because I hated 1 Corinthians so much. Um, And I know that sounds blasphemous, but it actually makes sense, and I'm going to explain why, okay? I want to tell you what 1 Corinthians is. 1 Corinthians is a response. Most of the letters in the New Testament are not that. 1 Corinthians is a response. They wrote him first. Okay, So when you open 1 Corinthians, you immediately are confronted with marriage, meat sacrifice to idols, head coverings, the Lord's Supper, spiritual gifts, the resurrection, sharing a collection for God's people, and all the debates and the opinions that were on all of these subjects and how much contention. The major one were our gifts in the church and how do I use them and why am I not being used and some of this kind of stuff. So basically it's like growing up in the South. It's like growing up in the Bible Belt and like, wow, what are we going to fight about this year? Okay, I, it's we should make fun of it. Okay, that's what I'm doing. So that's what we we should do. It's like growing up around it going, man, why are we fighting about everything? Why are we dividing about everything? The first, uh, the, I, I wasn't in Kerry's class, but I walked in at the end of it. And um, the last qu- <laughs> question that was asked when he had three minutes left is, how do we restore the first century church today? I I don't know. I don't know what we're supposed to. I don't know. But the first thing that hit me was this the one thing that breaks my heart that is nothing alike is that whatever the church was, whatever issues they had, you had the church in Ephesus, you had the church in Corinth, you had the church wherever you went, you went to the church. Because they didn't sit here and break up into their little groups like baseball teams and everything else and say, well... And what we started doing is like I did when I got back from Ecuador. We started practicing worshiping church instead of worshiping God. And, and, and you hear it in our language today. When someone's super excited about their church, well, at our church, we're... Somebody told me the other day, I go to a grace-centered church. And I was like, I go to an intelligence-centered church. I, you know, you, you, do you understand what you just implied about all the other churches? I'm like, that's arrogant. Don't robe yourself with the spirit of arrogance. Meadowlark is not our savior. We're a bunch of messed up people. Okay? That's what we are. That's our boast in the church, is desperately needing God and not being better than other churches. You know, it's, 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 that's not the point. And so when you come to Corinth, because they don't say, you know what, we disagree, I'm going to a different building. That's not what we were doing yet in Corinth. They just really disagree. And they're fighting. And they're bickering. And I want to let you know, Paul doesn't like 1 Corinthians either. In fact, he says that in chapter 12. He Finishes with all of their, resp- their questions, everything they're talking about, all their debates. In the last verse of chapter 12, he says this. Now I'm going to show you a better way. I'm going to show you a better way. And then he gets into what love actually is and what love actually looks like. But he was harsh in 1 Corinthians. And I mean firm. Have you ever loved somebody enough that you were willing to, hear what I'm saying here, have you ever loved somebody enough that you were willing to risk your relationship with them to confront them? Loved someone enough that you're willing to lose the relationship? Now that doesn't sound like love, does it or does it? Mm, I've had to do that and I have lost relationships because of people I loved so much I had to confront them. And I've saved relationships because of it too. And I hate confrontation, man. Nobody hates confrontation. I don't think more than I do except my wife. I hate confrontation. I hate it. And I've been in so many places where my pride stepped in and I wanted to be right so bad that I was like, let's argue so I can make you feel stupid or you can make me feel stupid, but let's go. Let's, let's have a, you know, let's have it out. And that's where the church was at. That's what they were doing. But there was also sin, and I mean serious sin, in this church. Last night, um, we were driving down to Denver, and I had a spiritual moment thinking about an accident on the road. I saw the most... It sounds like I'm crying over a Camaro, and I'm not. Okay... (laughs) I saw the most beautiful Camaro and the most beautiful Mustang or something. And I mean, they were both gorgeous cars, right? Going down the road, and I mean, an absolute disaster of an accident happened just up in front of us. Police, nothing was there yet. Parts of this beautiful car all over the road. And I'm trying to drive over, and I see this man walking down the highway, looking, trying to pick up the pieces. And I was thinking... Man, we're going down to dinner in Papado's tonight. That guy was probably trying to go find dinner somewhere. He had plans. He had a direction. He had something he was doing. And all of a sudden, he's walking down the highway, picking up parts of his car, just destroyed. And I was thinking, man, that is exactly how I see sin. That's exactly how I see it. And so many of us know what I'm talking about. It's like I've got a direction, my family's doing well, I'm doing well, everything's going good in my life. And all of a sudden, a serious sin comes along. And it's like a car wreck. Next thing you know, you don't. It's everything has changed and all you're doing is picking up the pieces. There's a lot of people in this room right now picking up pieces, okay? This is a very serious thing. You understand what I'm talking about. That's what's going on. The Corinthians wrote Paul saying, hey man, we're doing church. What do we do about this? What do we do about this? And all of a sudden, Paul confronted him with a car accident. He says, you have no clue. You have no clue what's going on. You're debating some of the dumbest things. You're dividing over some of the dumbest things. And you have accepted the most serious sins that you're unwilling to confront. And now I'm going to confront you with real sin, and what's really going on. I really don't care about your head coverings and your meat sacrificed idols as much as I care about this. You no longer love each other. There are serious sexual sins happening in this church, and we're going to bring them out front, we're going to confront them, we're going to expose them, and we're going to talk to God about what's really going on. And that's what happens in First Corinthians. And let me tell you, they went their separate ways after First Corinthians. You're going to hear this later in chapter 7 when he talks about his first letter to them. I do think he's talking about 1 Corinthians when he says that. He says this, Man, I love you like a father, so I addressed you, I confronted you, I talked to you like a father. And now more impressive speakers have come along. The super apostles, they're the major antagonist of of 2 Corinthians. The super apostles, these guys that are out of Yale, man, they are something... And they don't confront us about serious sin like you do, um, and no, they no longer have the respect for Paul. Paul is not respected. And when he, you're going to see him at times in Second Corinthians demanding respect, and you're going to say, "Man, how arrogant, how prideful!" It's not. This is a father that loves his kid, and he says, "You know what? I raised you. I, lo- I gave you birth. I love you like a father." And they're pushing themselves on you, demanding money from you, doing all these things so that they can grow the church and boast in you but that's not the love of a father and that's not the love i have for you and he writes second corinthians and if there's one theme to this book that you will fall in love with it's this this is what genuine christianity looks like second corinthians is what it is to be genuine before one another and before god this is what it is to be real And so that's the introduction, as I kind of get into these opening verses of of chapter one. I want you to hear the word comfort, and I want you to hear it over and over and over how many times he uses this word. Before I get into the text, I want to let you know what that word means. Um, It's tough, because the word comfort, even in Old English, but I mean, especially in Greek, it doesn't mean a soothing kind of thing so much. It means to give, um, it means to really give boldness, to give courage, to cause someone to stand up, to really get behind somebody and support them and cause them to stand tall, right? So this is, this is a Second Corinthians 1, and I'm actually going to read, and I don't do this very often, and I, I probably should. But I'm going to read all of 2 Corinthians 1, and I'm going to read all the way to verse 11 of chapter 2. And I just want you to allow God to speak to you, as this is not Jeff. I just want to put the word of God out there, and I want you to hear what he's saying here. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God in Corinth, together with all the saints throughout Achaia, grace and peace to you from God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows If we're distressed, it's for your comfort and salvation. If we're comforted, it's for your comfort, which produces in you patience, endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure. So that we despaired even our life. Indeed our hearts we felt the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves but on God who raises the dead. He's delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. As you help us by your prayers then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. Now, this is our boast. Our conscience testifies that we have conducted ourselves in the world, and especially in our relation with you, and the holiness and sincerity that are from God. We've done so not according to worldly wisdom, but according to God's grace. For we don't write you anything you cannot read or understand. And I I hope that as you have understood us in part, you will come to understand fully that you can boast of us just as we will boast of you in the day of the Lord Jesus because I, will, I was confident of this, I planned to visit you first so that you might benefit twice. I planned to visit you on my way to Macedonia and come back to you from Macedonia, and then to have you send me on my way to Judea. When I planned this, did I do it lightly, or do I make my plans in a worldly manner so then the same breath I say yes, yes, and, and no, no? But as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by me, Silas, and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him it has always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Now it's God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us. Set a seal of ownership on us and put a spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. I call God as my witness that it was in order to spare you that I did not return to Corinth. Not that we lord it over your faith but we work with you for your joy because it is by faith you stand firm. So I made up my mind that I would not make another painful visit to you. For I grieve you If I grieve you, who is left to make me glad but you who I grieved? I wrote as I did, so that when I came, I should not be distressed by those who ought to make me rejoice. I had confidence in all of you, that you would share in all my joy. For I wrote you out of great distress and anguish of heart, and with many tears, not to grieve you, but to let you know the depth of my love for you. If anyone has caused grief... He has not so much grieved me as he has grieved all of you, to some extent, not to put it too severely. I'm going to talk about what this means here in a second, but he says this in verse 6. The punishment inflicted on him by the majority is sufficient for him. Now instead you ought to forgive and comfort him so that he will not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. I urge you therefore to reaffirm your love for him. The reason I wrote you was to see if you would stand the test and be obedient in everything. If you forgive anyone, I also forgive him. And if what, is, uh, what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake. In order that Satan might not outwit us. Because we are not unaware of his schemes. That last verse. Um, and this is why I love Paul so much. He saw through. He was like the greatest counselor. He saw through the problems that someone thought they had. And he got to the root of what was really going on. And he always does this. He did it in 1 Corinthians. And here he does it again. And he says, listen, this is what's going on. I confronted you about serious sin in my life, in your life, and what's going on. This is what's happening. I confronted you about this, and man, you guys stood up, and you said, listen, we've got to preserve who we are as a people. We're a people of love, we're a people of unity, and when sin comes in, in whatever form, it has to be exposed so that it doesn't grow like a cancer. We know that, and we confronted it, and we addressed it. And so you stood firm and you put that person out from your life. And you know what this is. Most of you have been there. You've been that person that your sin destroyed your relationships. It destroyed so much. You've been there where you had to do that with somebody else. And then all of a sudden, relationships are over. The car accidents happen. Disaster has struck. And there's just nothing left to do but pick up the pieces. And Paul writes and he says this. Now it's time. For you to turn around and do something harder than confront somebody. You need to restore that person. And you need to have the guts and the courage and the love to restore them. And you need to come into that relationship and show what real fatherly love is. You stand up and you address what sin is. But you also have the love to come back and embrace him. And show the kind of forgiveness that God showed you. And then he says this, in order that Satan might not outwit us. I, I've said this before, but nothing bothers me more. I guess my pride, my ego as a guy, I hate being outsmarted. I hate when somebody outsmarts me. That's why when I play board games, I cheat. I do. I, I hate being outsmarted. I hate somebody who make me feel stupid. I really hate it when my enemy does that. And Satan has made me feel stupid so many times in my life. He has made me feel so overwhelmed to not only are you more evil than I am, I hate to confess it, you're smarter than I am too. And I feel outwitted by you all the time. As soon as something's going right, you came in and you did something so sick. He's a master strategist. And Paul looks beyond it and he says this. You know how to get past Satan's schemes? Forgive. You find it somewhere in your heart to forgive. Because I promise you this, as evil as we can be. We are not one another's enemies. And the people in your family that have become estranged are not your enemies. As much as Satan himself is your enemy. And Satan's one goal must align with what Christ's one goal was for the church. You remember his final prayer for the church? I pray, Father, they would be one. As you are in me and I am in you, I pray that they would be one. So, what would Satan's number one goal for the church be? That they would not be one, that they would be divided. God's plan for a marriage is that they would be one. Satan's plan for your marriage is that they would not be. God's plan for your family is that you would be one. That's it. And this whole, this whole game plays out, whether we're talking about church, marriage, family, whatever it is, God has a plan and Satan has a plan, and we have to not be outsmarted. So Paul writes 2 Corinthians, and he begins with this. Comfort, forgive. We have to embrace one another because we have a much larger war. A lot of us grew up in churches where we were fighting, and man, we can trade stories. I bet I got better ones <laughs> of fun fights I've had with people over the dumbest issues you could possibly imagine. And all that time, we didn't realize sin was corrupting our families. Pride, sick issues, and we have the audacity to come in and say, I'm going to walk out of this church if you sing another Christmas song, while you yourself were being unfaithful. Mm-mm, let's be real about what sin is in our lives, what's really going on. And I'm not saying that for any other reason that every single one of us struggles with serious, real, deep sin. It's not something where you look at somebody and say, well, there's the sinners over there and there's the right... It's not that way. Satan did not choose to wage war on some of us and not others. Satan is at war with all of us, and that's why it's so serious that we as a church continue to carry out what First and Second Corinthians is about. These are all the issues that are dividing you, but now I'm going to show you a better way. I'm going to show you a more excellent way to practice the kind of love... That a family has for each other. We're going to get into this in the last part of these lessons. Because the second part of this book. Man, the first part of this book is good. The second part of this book is next level good. It's so good. And Paul just stands and he says, this is what the love of a father is in your life. You're celebrating your churches. You're celebrating your great speakers. You're celebrating what you call spiritual. But you forgot the love of a father and I will not let you go. I will be here if you hate me, if you look at me with disgust, if you look at me with love, I will be here, and I will be a father to you that 's what Paul was to this church, and that 's what he God was to this this body as well. I want to lift this up in a personal prayer for two reasons, and this is just an introduction this week uh, to a book that um, i mean i can 't even put it into words this is like a love letter in my life. Second Corinthians is the place I go. Whenever I need, I just need it. Um, I want you to be praying about this. Not only that this this book reaches us on a personal level, but I'm convicted, very convicted this year. Right, um, that Satan is going to try to outsmart us. Um, that he's going to convince, he's going to feed our pride. He's going to convince us of our own intelligence. He's going to, He likes to puff us up. And I pray that through this book, we would recognize as a body. Um, at Metal Ark, we would recognize as a body th- these two things. One is that um, we are under attack and that the issues that God would have us face are oftentimes not the issues we want to face. Um, that's why I don't like the terms liberal and conservative. They usually deal with very mundane, stupid issues. And I, I usually like my mind, I, I try to allow my mind to go into issues that I think are more God issues. Um, and the second thing that I really pray that this book accomplishes in us, and that, that, that's the first, is that we would think God's thoughts and what it is to be God's church. And the second is this, that we would not be part of this paradigm where people boast in their church and boast in like popularized religion, right? But boast only in their God. Uh, Boast only in Jesus Christ. And the reason why is because in any church, this one included, where someone to uncover what happens in all of our lives, in all of our families, in all of our minds, were somebody to really uncover that, they would be very disappointed. Uh, That's the truth they'd be very disappointed. Because our boast is never going to be in ourselves. It's in a Savior uh, that has saved all of us and saved so many families. And I ask that this comfort, this is my message to you this morning, right? This comfort that God has somehow shown you in your life would overflow through you into all of your relationships, And that somehow, when you feel like you're that guy that's standing there and pieces of your Camaro are all over the highway, and you're walking down trying to pick up the pieces, you would somehow receive that comfort in God that, one, there is another day, and God is going to carry you just like He did before. He is going to carry you. And two, the greatest way out of this disaster is to find the wisdom that there is in forgiveness and the wisdom that there is in showing comfort. I pray that grace over you. It's terrifying giving a message like this because the application is, as many people that are in this room, there's that many applications. And I know that. I understand that. But I pray that between you and God, this message would carry out something beautiful. Uh, Father, I I just want to come before you and I ask that prayer. Um. Deliver us from the temptation to think like Corinth was doing, to think in a worldly manner instead of in a godly manner. I pray, God, for our relationships, that we would have the wisdom uh, to know when to forgive and how to forgive, that we don't have to be right, um, that you allow us to know the wisdom to fight for truth and at the same time understand our own personal need for your grace. Um, I ask God for healing in relationships where you need healing. I pray for healing in families where there needs to be healing. But God, mostly in our own hearts, when um, we can't forgive ourselves, when sin has caused disaster in our lives and everything else, I pray, Father, for your comfort to be a reality, that you cause us to stand. You cause us to stand boldly in this world. And you're so much bigger than our enemy is. And I thank you for conquering him in our lives. And we stand and we sing victorious because you have conquered him. Uh, You've conquered what we couldn't. And that's the reason we were able to stand before you. Um, Thank you so much for the grace that's in a message like that. It's in Christ's name we come before you. Amen. Let's stand and worship God together.